Welcome to the Encounter Church Podcast. We believe this message will encourage you as you grow your faith and your relationship with Jesus. Grab your notebook and a pen as we get right into the message. Well, good morning, Encounter Church. How are we doing? How are we feeling? Everybody alive today? Come on. Let's go. Hey, I, I just want to encourage you this morning that I am so excited about what God is doing because so much already what he has aligned in our sermon and our service today is exactly where you guys are at. In fact, I, as we were singing today the song, I want to know your heart. That was just my heart's desire as I was worshiping this morning, and I felt like the Holy Spirit was saying, my heart is for you. My heart is for the people. That's why I sent my son Jesus. So I believe that he's got an incredible work set up for us today. And so before I start, I just want to honor your pastors. Now, the reason I never corrected you, Pastor Chris, is because he actually was getting the real touchified, if you know what I'm saying, touchified version of my name correctly. In fact, my ancestors are Pennsylvania Dutch. I grew up in Pennsylvania. I'll talk more about our story here in a minute. But we do pronounce our name Fosnock, but if you want to get real Dutchy, then get Pastor Chris and he can teach you how to do it that way. Um, I do want to honor you, though, Pastor Chris. A couple years ago, we were pastoring in Concordia, Missouri, that's where we've been at the last six years before we are transitioning back to the mission field. And so technically we were Kansas City section for the first four, and then they made a transition as they redid the lines for us to become the Sedalia section. And what that means is we get a new presbyter. So what that means for me as a pastor of a local church is I get a new pastor. And I need you to know that your pastor is a pastor's pastor. Not only does he shepherd you and shepherd this flock and this congregation well, but he oversees pastors and cares about them and their well-being. I receive texts from him still, even though I'm transitioning into a missionary, checking up on us, seeing how we're doing, inviting us to events, and including us in the Sedalia section. Pastor Chris, that means so much to me, because one of the things that happens as you transition from pastor to missionary is there's a little bit of a disconnect with community, and I've never felt that, and I thank you, Pastor Chris for your guidance and for your love for us. So I'm going to introduce my family because, honestly, they're cute and they make me look good, okay? So they're going to put a picture of our family on the screen. We are Team Fosnock. The reason why we say Team Fosnock is because if I play, we've got a basketball team. Come on, somebody. Like, we've got four boys. And so Brooke and I met in college. I'll share more about that in a minute, but I want to introduce my kids to you. In fact, one of the ways that you can connect with us, if you're a family or you've got some small kids, we would love to connect with you in a personal way and start correspondence between our kids. That's one of the ways that you can, your kids can pray for my kids. Or if you're like, hey, I want to pray for your children because taking children overseas is hard. In fact, the number one reason why missionary families leave the field is because of their kids either with education problems or health problems, things of that nature. So pray for our kids, and maybe you can just pick one today, and that will resonate maybe based on their personality. So let me introduce you to them. Zion is eight. He's my mini-me. He loves to talk, and if the wall would talk back, he would talk to the wall. Some of you are like that. Some of you have a lot of words. Okay, the average pe- person has between 7,000 and 35,000 words a day. I'm like 35,000 plus. That's me. That's our home situation, and so is Zion. Now, Judah is like my wife. He's like the 7,000 words. But they're also physical touch. They love to hug. They love to cuddle. And recently at my mama's house, because sometimes there's not as good supervision at grandma and grandpa's house. Come on, somebody. You know what I'm talking about. He got into wrestling, into WWE, and so now he wants to wrestle all the time. 
He, in fact, he is very intense, and Brooke is very intense. My, one of my first interactions with Brooke is I was the male intramural director at Evangel University. I was over all the intramural sports. EU grad, come on, somebody. If you're in the house, you want to Evangel, that's us. And Brooke was playing in a flag football powder puff championship game, and it is the only time as the, as the director I ever had to call the ambulance because Brooke laid a girl out. This girl, like, tore her knee up and had to go to the hospital. And I was like, whoo, that girl's intense. I like her. Come on, somebody. That was amazing. That's my son, Judah. And then we've got Titus, who's three. He's our runner. That's why I'm holding him for the picture. Okay, you got to keep him close. And then Elias is one. He is our baby, although he's not much of a baby anymore. He's going to be two at the end of January. But Brooke refuses to cut his hair, so he's still got a bunch of curls and things of that nature. So he's super cute. It's like the last one. It's hard to part with all the lasts, okay? And so we are missionaries to Melanesia. Now, we say Melanesia because I'm going to show you a map. That is a region. It is made up of three countries, and that is Papua New Guinea here in the first Solomon Islands in the middle, and Vanuatu. Now, the reason why we say Melanesia is because AGWM has asked us to pioneer, to spearhead a team back into the Solomon Islands where there has not been a missionary unit or a missionary family or individual for almost 20 years. Our primary focus will be pioneer evangelism and church planting. So the reason why we say Melanesia is because until we have a team, at least three units, we will not be able to move to the Solomon Islands full time. This is why we're living in Vanuatu for at least the first year until God can set up our team. Because there are healthy, functioning, flourishing teams in both Vanuatu and Papua New Guinea. And we're going to bridge that gap. We're going to believe God for an amazing team in the Solomon Islands. And so if you'd like to follow our journey, I love that you guys are techie here. We're going to put our QR code on the screen. So hopefully you have at some point collected your QR code where you're connecting with this church. But here's how you can stay connected with us. We send out a quarterly newsletter. In fact, we just sent one last week. We'll send one if you scan it today. Our update, what we're doing, where we're going, where we're at in the itineration or fundraising process. Now, I want to share our story with you because I feel like that's important. That's one of the ways that God connects and encourages his children and his family, the brethren, the brothers and sisters in Christ. In fact, a couple weeks ago, we were sharing at a church in Ocean City, New Jersey. We travel all over the place gathering prayer partners and financial connection partners. And so in the back of the service, in the back of the auditorium, there was this lady and she was in it. I mean, she was amen and everything I said, hooting, hollering. You would have thought that she was the Chiefs fan and the Chiefs had just won the game the entire service. It was amazing. And I go and I connect with her after the service like, hey, God's working on you, isn't he? She said, yes. I always felt like I was called to missions, but I thought because I had four small children that I was disqualified or that they wouldn't want me to go serve. And I was like, well, oh, contraire, bonjour. We're doing it. You can do it too. In fact, why don't you come serve with us? That would be awesome. I mean, she wasn't ready to hear that I've got missionary friends with five kids, but she wasn't ready for that, okay? And so as I share our story, I'm hoping that something I say today at some point will encourage you to take that next step. In fact, the title of my message today is Step Into the Water, Stepping Into What's Next, What God Has for You, that I believe that the Holy Spirit wants to meet you where you're at today, speak to you, help, guide, counsel, comfort you. That is his function. That is his role in the Trinity to help you take that next step. Now, Brooke and I met in the most romantic way. In fact, Hallmark, they need a new storyline, and they should probably give your boy a call because they're due for a new one because they've been playing out these last, you know, 10 years, the same one over and over and over. 
but I am Pennsylvania Dutch, hence the last name, and I went to Valley Forge to try it out, to tour it, and I was like, I got to get away from home, so I ended up following some friends from my life group in high school to Evangel University, and I go there, and I love it. I went to what they call Crusader Days, although now we're called the Valor, okay, so we're Evangel Valor Days, and I just fell in love with Springfield, and I felt like God was leading me there. Now, in my senior year, there's this thing that happens at Evangel. They call it Ring by Spring. It's like you're due to find your, mis- your MR and your MRS degree. And I was like, that's not going to be me. At least that's what I said. And then Brooke and I met, and we met, and you cannot make this up. We met in the 8 a.m. book study of the book of Revelation. Come on, isn't that romantic? Isn't that great? We're studying Revelation together. In fact, here was my pickup line. Every time I see a young buck, I'm like, this is it. This, you need to use it. And here's my pickup line for for my Miss Brooke here. It was this. Hey, girl, the world's going to end. We might as well be together when it does. Woo, isn't that good? You and me together, we could do anything, baby. Come on, let's go. We're in it together. That was actually not how it went, because that wouldn't have worked. It was like, this class is really hard. She's very smart. She graduated with the highest honors, and we studied together. And so our life group at the time, because Brooke was leading worship at a church called Peace Chapel in Fairgrove, Missouri, our life group decided we were going to go to the World Mission Summit in 2008. This is something that the Assemblies of God does to get young people or people who are interested in missions to come and to experience and embrace that possible call for their life. And I remember as I was meeting the life group in Cincinnati, Ohio, and I'm driving from Lancaster, Pennsylvania, I have this moment with God where I say, God, whatever you have for me, I'm in. It was this moment of surrender that each and every one of us need to have once and over and over and over again, saying yes in advance. And the last night of the conference, there was an altar call, and the speaker simply said, would you give a year to missions and pray about a lifetime? Now, I love adventure. I love speaking. I love talking to people. I, get, I love getting to know new cultures, trying new food. So quickly, I was in. So as I'm responding to the altar and I'm walking to the altar, the Holy Spirit quickly said to me, if you're so quick to give a year, give me your life and I'll take care of the rest. And it was this powerful moment with God where it was, I was willing to take a step and he was saying, I need you to trust me with every step from here on out. So maybe your next step for you today is to say, hey, God, for the rest of my life, I trust you in advance, and I say yes to the opportunity that you put in front of me so that when that opportunity comes, I am not fearful, but I can step into it in faith. I hope that's where you're at today. And so as I'm responding to the altar, the speaker at the conference then had the audacity to do this next. He said, now what we're going to do is we're going to have all the people who are called to missions come on the stage, tell us your name and where you're going to serve. So I go from being at the altar, and I'm a mess, and I'm crying, and the Holy Spirit is just moving, to now I'm mad. Like, I'm back in the flesh quick. I'm like, I don't have a place. I've been called for like four minutes. Where am I going to go? Do I just make one up? Do I just say a random country, and that's it? How does this work? So now I'm mad, and I'm going back to my seat, and I'm frustrated. And again, if you listen, the Holy Spirit will speak. And he just said to me, I don't want to give you a destination. I want to give you a direction for your life. And that one decision that wasn't just at the altar, it was made in advance of the conference in a car, on a drive, on the way there, anticipating what God was going to do and speak. That yes in advance, that one decision led to a totally different life. Totally different life. So now I've got this call of God on my life, and I'm seeking the assignment, but I'm not sure what that looks like yet. So I 
incorporated one of my rules of life. I've developed these rules of life. I've got 12 of them because, yes, I am a nerd, and that helps me stay focused and very disciplined. Is that in every season, I'm going to share three with you today. The first one is this, that you should have a scripture for every season. This is something that I got from my mother. No matter what our family was going through or whether she was going through personally, whether it was a high moment or a mountaintop moment, then there was a verse of thanksgiving or gratitude or rejoicing. If there was a, a valley moment, there was a portion of scripture to cling to. So I'm reading the Bible and I come to Ezekiel 47. Like I've been a church kid my whole life. I was so church kid growing up that I was Jesus and the Christmas cantata in 1985 at four months old. Like, that's how church I was. I'm like, Ezekiel 47, I don't remember ever hearing a sermon on Ezekiel 47. I'm like going back through the Sunday school repertoire. I don't remember Ezekiel on the flannel graph. If you know, you know. If you don't know what a flannel graph is, I don't know what to do. Maybe Pastor Chris can educate you on that. But it was something. Let me tell you what. I always wanted to be the kid that put it up on the flannel graph, that that was me. It's because I'm like a little bit mild ADHD, and I know what you're like. I know. I know. I can tell. That was me. That was my role. But as I'm reading Ezekiel 47, God is laying out for me this next step principle that I've clung to for the last several years, this philosophy of ministry that we have. And it's simply this, and we've applied to everywhere we've gone. We've served three years in the nation of Haiti. We served at an international church in London, England, and then locally for the past six years in Concordia, Missouri. It works in every cultural context among every religious previous background, whether it was voodoo in Haiti, whether it was post-Christian society in London, England. It works everywhere you go. Who are you? Where are you at spiritually? And what is the next step? That's why I love that Pastor Chris said, you don't know what's next until you know where you are. So I'm hoping today that you will get this sense of this is where I'm at and this is what God is leading me to. And I want you to see that in Ezekiel 47, Ezekiel gets this vision from God. It's what it's going to look like when the Holy Spirit or God's presence is released out onto the world. Let's read it this morning. If you have your Bible, turn to Ezekiel 47 or get your Bible on your phone. It'll also be on the screen. It says, Then he brought me to the door of the temple, and there was water flowing from under the threshold of the temple towards the east. For the front of the temple faced east, the water was flowing from under the right side of the temple, and it was south of the altar. And what we're seeing here is that this living water that Jesus testifies when he comes to this earth is going to be released. It will flow. It will move. It will be living. It will be active out of the temple. Because in Ezekiel's day, there was only one man, the high priest, one time a year who could go into God's presence. I can imagine Ezekiel getting this vision as he's understanding what this is, how impactful and excited his heart must have been, that God's presence is going to be released out onto the world. This is why we love that Jesus died on the cross for our sin so he can make us new and that we can be reconciled with God and so that we can have a different eternity. But what this also means is that every single one of us now has access to God because God's presence is no longer confined to the Holy of Holies where only one man could experience it, that it's going to break out. And I want you to know that the Holy Spirit's work in your life, it wants to flow, it wants to stir, it wants to help you break out of where you are and to lead you into deeper waters. In verse 2 it says, He brought me out of the way of the north gate and he led me to the onside of the outer gate that faces east and there was water running. That's a key word, running. It's moving. I love when Jesus shows up. He says, the kingdom of God is advancing. It's going forward. It's moving on the right side. In verse 3, and when the man went out to the east side, eventually the waters come up to his ankles. 
ankle. So maybe that's you today. Maybe you're ankle deep. You're like, I've been a Christian for a while. I've been practicing the ways of Jesus. I'm pretty new to this, and I'm ankle deep, and I'm just stepping into the things that he has for you. Celebrate. That's where you're at today, and then look what's next. In verse 4, it says eventually he measures in. It comes up to his knees, and then at the end of verse 4, it comes up to his waist. And then here's where this is leading in verse 5. I want you to see this. This is where God is leading you towards. Again, he measured 1,000, and it was a river that I could not cross, for the water was too deep, water in which one cannot or must swim, cannot stand, and the river could not be crossed. So eventually that God, through the power of his Holy Spirit in you, if you are a believer, wants to get you to a place where you are totally dependent on him. So a couple observations. First and foremost, you want to be led This is not something that you're doing on your own. Now, there are some logical next steps that if you do not have a relationship with Christ, the logical next step was I'm going to surrender my life to Jesus. I'm going to accept him as my Lord and Savior, and I'm going to embrace salvation and walk in his ways and become a children of God. That's a logical next step if you don't know him today. Another logical next step is once you experience salvation is to be baptized with water because that is the outward confession of the inward change that you have made in your surrender, that you are burying the old life and you are being raised to new life. But know this, that every next step that you take, it is in partnership and in relationship, which is the point, by the way, with the Holy Spirit. And there has to be these moments like verse 6 where Ezekiel then gets taken out of the river in which he's fully dependent on God. He is now standing at the bank of the river, and God's going to show him the implications of this river. It says, and he said unto me, son of man, have you seen this? Then he brought me to the bank of the river and returned me to the bank. And then in verse 12, he sees the byproduct of the river. This is the byproduct of you living a Holy Spirit-filled life producing fruit, embracing next steps, being led by Christ in a partnership called co-laboring and leading a life fully dependent on him. This is what that river in you, that river of living water will produce in you. It says along the bank of the river on this side and that will go all kinds, all kinds. This is why Paul tells us about the fruit of the spirit. There's all kinds of fruit that we use for fruit that people that are outside of the river, that are outside of the kingdom can partake of. This is why you need to have relationships with non-Christians. My grandmama, I love her to death, but her church was very legalistic. And rule number one in the youth group was have no non-Christian friends. And I was like, whoo, that's intense. I understand not letting non-Christians influence you, but how is the kingdom going to advance? How is the kingdom going to go forward? How are they ever going to partake of our fruit if we're not in relationship with them? So get your phone out. And if there's not at least one non-Christian in your phone, that's your next step. Create some relationships with some non-Christians, people who are in a desert-like season who can come stand on the bank of the living water flowing in you since you're stirred up and partake of your fruit for a season because what's that going to lead to? Them taking an ankle-deep step. That's how evangelism works. That's how pioneer evangelism works. It's creating relationships and producing fruit. It also says that you will have leaves for healing. It's essentially finding a hurt and healing it. I know this person, they have a need, I'm going to find that need, and I'm going to fill it. I'm going to see their hurts, and I'm going to seek to heal it. That's a quote from a pastor named Tommy Barnett, great leader, man of God. Find a need and fill it. Find a hurt and heal it. I don't know how to share my faith. Find a need and fill it. Find a hurt and heal it. And as you produce, as you produce this fruit, people will be invited into the river. So we like to say this, that the kingdom of God is like a river. 
It's an eternal current that flows throughout history, and it does two things. It brings the restoration and redemption of all people. You are redeemed by the blood of the Lamb, the work of Jesus, and you are restored through a process of sanctification from the Holy Spirit. And as you live a fully dependent life on God, that life will be a light that will help others step into that same process, redemption and restoration. Jesus in John chapter 7 says this, on the last and greatest day of the festival, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. And as a person filled with the Spirit, that's what you're doing. It's an invitation to relationship. It's invitation to the one who is lost and lonely to have relationship and produce and, and partake of that living water in you. Whoever believes in me, as Scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow in them. So maybe your next step today is you're like, I don't feel very stirred up. Like, I'm coming to church today more out of discipline than anticipation of what God's going to do or speak to me. Maybe your prayer today is, God, stir me up again. Holy Spirit, stir me up. Let's reconnect. I need to abide again. I need to step back into the water. Maybe you need to be honest with yourself today and say, well, I used to be in the water, but now I'm kind of like a consumeristic Christian. I'm the one that's hanging out on the bank, and I'll claim Christ if somebody asks me if I'm a Christian. You know, I'll tell people that I go to Encounter Church. I'll even tell them, Pastor Chris is my pastor, but I'm not really in it right now. I'm in a season on the river. I'm on a season partaking from the river. It says, by this he meant the spirit by whom he believed and you would later receive. And we've applied this. Who are you? Where are you at spiritually? And what's the next step? Every single place we've gone. And as you're ministering to people, because yes, you need to do this for yourself. You should probably know where your spouse is spiritually. You should probably know where your children are spiritually, where your grandchildren are spiritually, so you can encourage them and lovingly help them take the next step. But it also works when you're at work and when you're talking with your coworkers or your friends at school. What does this look like? And sometimes that next step is they need a relationship with Jesus, and we love to celebrate that. We love doing VBS in Haiti every year because tons of kids would come to know Jesus. We loved hosting missions teams, and we even let non-Christians come. Now, they weren't really sharing the gospel. They were more building things or doing medical clinics. But on these short-term missions teams, team members would come, and they would come to know Jesus, and we would baptize them in the ocean on the beach day. And that was awesome, and we loved those next steps. But sometimes it's as simple as we were walking through a village, we would see a child laying on the porch, and they were sick because in Haiti people die of things that we normally would just go to the doctor and get medicine for because they don't have medical care or access to it or transportation to a doctor. So sometimes it was as simple as, oh, there's somebody with cholera. Get him in the truck and get him in the hospital. Connect him with a pastor. Sometimes it's just as relational as listening to someone. One of my favorite examples of the next step spiritually is we had a girl in our youth group in London. That's what we were. We were youth pastors. And the pastor said, hey, if you could get this girl to come to church, in fact, if she would attend one of your youth services, that would be a huge win. And so me and my extroverted self, the first Sunday she's in church that I see her, I walk up to her and say, hey, how you doing? I go to give her a high five. Pastor Chris, she ducks under my arm, runs out of the church, gets in the car, and will not come back in. So it was like, nailed it, nailed it. She's for sure coming to youth on Friday night, for sure. Yeah, right. Because when you live in a post-Christian world, the common thing to do is to question and doubt because everyone else does and deconstruct your faith. And what she needed was not to attend a youth service. What she needed was someone to get coffee with her 
to process those questions, to deal with that doubt, to allow her to verbal process in a way where lovingly she wasn't judged. She needed a relationship where she could willingly hang out on the bank of the river and just partake of the fruit for a while. And by meeting with her over and over, Brooke, throughout the year that we were there through coffee, the week before we left to come back to Kansas City, she said, I have decided to follow Jesus. I have decided. Our job is not to convince, it's not to convert or coerce anyone to Christ. Our job is to love, our job is to proclaim Jesus, to be an ambassador, which means to essentially say what he wants you to say, to be led by the Spirit. That's why the Bible says, hey, you're going to have opportunities to share. Don't worry about what you're going to say. The Holy Spirit will tell you what you need in that moment, and as you are led by him, you're going to produce a fruit. Now, we believe that when we go to the Solomon Islands, we're going to be able to minister to never-reached people through this process. In fact, we've seen this happen in Vanuatu because they have a full-team, flourishing team that has been ministering to the never-reached for several decades now. And one of the ways that they minister to never-reached tribes is when they find them, and by the way, the never-reached have to be found. The reason why they've never had a proper proclamation of the gospel is why they get the classification never-reached is because they are removed from society. In fact, the government with this one tribe called the Nabunalas in Vanuatu, they said, we believe they're within this 30-mile radius. There's about 2,500 of them. When the team finally made contact with them on the ground, there were 6,500 of them divided into 23 different tribes. Could you imagine the population of Sedalia? The government says it's how big? 20,000? But it actually be 60,000 people? That's how little is known about some of these people. And so ultimately, as pioneer evangelism is happening and they're making relationships, what they find a need to fill is medical care, that they literally have to leave the island to find medical care, which for most tribes is not even possible. And in fact, they've never had dental care. So that first six months to a year, what they're doing is meeting a tangible need of dental care and medical care to restore the body, which leads to a softening of the heart to restore the soul to the point where you can tell people about Jesus and establish the physical body of Christ within the church. If you lead every conversation with, hey, I need to tell you about Jesus and want to expect that someone's going to give you the time to lay out the gospel, that's probably not going to happen in our day and age. But if you invite somebody into a relationship, if you're able to meet a tangible need, if you're able to produce fruit that they can partake of for a season, and by the way, you can't gripe that they're doing it because that's the process that God laid out. There may be a point where you're able to share about your faith because sometimes it takes a while. My pastor at the last church, he talked about he had a close friend who he shared the gospel with him over and over and over throughout a decade of relationship. And on the day where he finally came to know Christ, do you know what his friend said to him? How come you never told me this? How come you never, how come you never told me about Jesus? And what the pastor wanted to say, what my friend wanted to say was, I've been telling you this for 10 years. It's just his heart was not in a place to receive. So your non-Christian friends and family members who have you shared the gospel or invited to church once, twice, three times, they may need to hear it over and over and over and over again. And as we approach a season as a church where we're heading into a time where people are lonely and feel disconnected because it's the holiday seasons, that is your opportunity to love and produce fruit and to invite people in. But you have to count the cost in advance. You have to count the cost in advance because the next steps that 
the Holy Spirit may be leading you into today are hard. Because one of the ways that you can invite a family member or a friend into the river sometimes is through reconciliation. Sometimes it's admitting that you were wrong. Sometimes it's doing the hard things. And so we have a philosophy that we have um, a rule of life that is count the cost in reverse. Because it may cost you something. It may be a hard conversation. It may be awkward. Because you know that person doesn't love Jesus, and if you bring up Jesus again, it may be awkward. They may be quiet. They may leave. But I'm telling you, if the Holy Spirit leads you to do it, you need to walk in obedience because you never know what he could do or what he is already doing on their hearts. So we count the cost in advance. When things get hard as we're fundraising and gaining prayer partners and traveling all over the place, last week we were in Pennsylvania on Sunday, we flew to Boise, Idaho for a, a service on Wednesday. We flew back to Kansas City and drove here this morning when it gets hard. We count the cost if we don't go. Because for me, the greatest injustice is there are people right now who for line and lineage for all of eternity, for thousands of years, generation after generation after generation, are dying without ever hearing the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that's what keeps us in the fight. We count the cost if we don't go. Because there's always an excuse to back out. Sometimes it's hard. Or there's just things in our life that we don't want to deal with. Now on the mission field, sometimes it's funny and it's a little bit of a joke. For example, I'm going to show you some pictures because I'm going to lighten it up a little bit. We were a little serious there for a moment. Sometimes it's just, hey, I'm in Haiti and I'm at my house. And we have some invaders that would show up. So the first picture I'm going to show you is a, is a spider. I almost said crab. It's as big as a crab that was on our door one day in Haiti. That is, the body was the size of my, I know, he's like crossing. It was intense. We were cooking Thanksgiving dinner one year, and a lizard fell from the ceiling, fell on the inside of the door of the stove, and the girls who were making dinner shut the lizard in the stove. I'm like, you're going to cook that in our mashed potatoes. Open the door so we can get them out. Now, you laugh, but if that happens on the wrong day, it makes you want to quit. In fact, I kid you not, missionaries from our area left the mission field because they couldn't figure out how to get hot water. Now, you say that's first world problems until it's you, right? Until it's your situation. The next one is the things that you have to eat that you're offered on the mission field. This is a fruit bat. The next picture that I... Oh, that's the rat. We'll get to that one. I went out of order. I'm sorry. Well... Yep, there it is. There's the fruit bat. Look at that thing. And if they offer you a delicacy, you have to eat it. It's a disrespect not to eat it. So I'm going to teach you the missionary prayer. And if this is the only thing you remember from my sermon, that's between you and God, and you need to repent. Okay? Here it is. Lord, I put it down. You keep it down. There it is. That's as simple as that. Lord, I have to eat this demon-looking, demonic bat because it's a delicacy and I'm going to offend a tribal leader if I don't. But if I barf it up, that's on you. It's between you and God. God's got to work that out. Sometimes it's a rat because you have to decide in the islands which team you are, team snake or team rat. If there's a volcano on your island, then you have no snakes, but you have rats, and the rats are huge because they have no predators. This was a rat found in a team house recently, and you notice... That is a man from Vanuatu who killed that rat because the missionaries sometimes we call in for help. That's how it goes. So we have to count the costs in advance. First and foremost, Paul says we are not to grieve the Spirit. So if the Holy Spirit is asking you to do it and you deny that or you don't follow that direction long enough, eventually it gets to the point where you'll no longer hear, and that is not a place you want to be as a follower of Jesus. And sometimes you need that boldness. You just need some courage. And that courage to take that next step, once you take the step and you're in, the Holy Spirit always gives you the courage to do it. 
And I'm going to invite the worship team to come back. And here's the rule number three that I have for you today. And it is, it is simple as this. God's grace helps you deal with reality. The thing that I love so much about God is he is gracious. gracious. He is, Jesus comes, he says, I'm full of grace and truth. That if I receive the love of God and I have the grace of God, then I can deal with the reality of where I'm at. This is why I love, because I believe that we're going to higher heights. I love that there's a visual for you of where you're at. That God loves you exactly where you're at, but he wants to give you the boldness and the courage to take that next step. Because as you take that next step, it leads to greater dependency on him. And as you become more dependent and more dependent on God, you know what that leads to? Intimacy with him and the Holy Spirit, which gives you the boldness and the courage to do the things you're going to do. So sometimes that next step courage that you need is just to do it and walk in it. To make a decision today, to draw the line in the sand. I'm stepping over this line, and this is a line of no return. From here on out, I'm following after God wholeheartedly. I love that I'm looking around, and I'm literally seeing men wearing shirts that say, all in. That I've committed to be all in, and I'm going to walk in those ways. And so I love this quote from C.T. Studd. He said this, I want to live within, I don't want to live within the sound of church bells, that I want to set up a hospital within two steps of hell. That I don't want to be so focused on my comfort and my security. I want to set up a hospital two steps from hell. And for some of you, you're walking into a family situation during the holidays that sometimes feels a little hot. There's a little bit of friction, a little bit of anxiety as you're walking in. Maybe that describes your workplace. Maybe that describes the home that you grew up in. But let me tell you what, you can establish a hospital there, a place for healing that you, as the river of God flows through you and works in you, that you're going to produce a fruit that they can partake of, that you can produce a shade. You ever been in a relationship with somebody that when you're with them, it just feels like a shade, it just feels like a medicine? You just leave their presence and it's so encouraging and they're so uplifting and it's so full of life. That's a shade that you can produce for people that you love. And I'm gonna ask you to close your eyes and I'm gonna read my last scripture this morning and it's Revelation 7, 9 through 10. That John also gets a revelation, and it's the final worship service. It's where the conclusion of the river is flowing. The greatest thing about being in the river is you know where it ends. Sometimes there's moments of peace, and you can enjoy and check out the scenery and give God the glory and rejoice in all he's doing. And sometimes there's these rapids of life, these circumstances that are so hard, and you feel, how am I going to keep my head above the water? How am I going to keep going? Holy Spirit, help me not to get out and to retreat or to backslide from what you've called me to. It's because you know where the river is going. And it says, after this, I looked and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count. And the people gathered there were from every nation, every tribe, every people, every language. And they were standing before the throne of the Lamb. They were wearing white robes, which means they were declared righteous, and they were holding palm branches in their hands, and they cried out in a long voice, salvation belongs to God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. When we see Jesus, there will be no more anguish, there will be no more current, there will be no more frustration, no more sorrow, and no more pain. So my question for you in that final scene is, are you going to be there? Are you in the river flowing towards an eternity with God? One of the questions we got in London all the time was this. How could a loving God send anyone to hell? And I would say simply, hell is not a place where God sends people he hates. It's a place where you can go pay for your sin if you want to. Because why would a loving God 
who saw that for your entire life never wanted a relationship with him? Why would he hold you captive in heaven for eternity in something you verbally stated or lived your life in such a way that you never wanted a relationship with him in the first place? You have that choice today. Step into the river. And then secondly, who are you going to take with you? This is the reason why we go, because there is a place where the river does not run. There are dry and barren lands that need to hear about Jesus, and that's why we send. So I love to say that legacy is not just what you do. It's what others do because of you. And when you are a legacy giver, you are sending missionaries like Brooke and I across the world to extend the river to places where it does not exist. So we imagined this scene in heaven, and here's my altar call today. It's this simple. What's next for you? Where are you at spiritually and what is next? And I want you to imagine this for the church. Next November, my family and I will be in Melanesia. You guys will be here living on mission in your mission field in Sedalia. And what would this church look like? What would Encounter Church look like if every single person in this room today took a step spiritually? Took a step towards him. And so Pastor Chris is going to come to a moment, and I'm going to ask you to do something physical because the reason why I say next step is because it's going to take you to do something in the physical. We believe in spiritual next steps, but that's a response in the physical. So if you are committed today, and I don't want you to make this decision just because it's peer pressure or somebody next to you does it or this is what you're supposed to do. I want you to decide today in advance because the thing that the Holy Spirit is going to tell you to do may just scare you to death, and that's on purpose. But he will give you a little bit. Next step, next step. I'm thankful that in 2008, the Holy Spirit didn't say, you're going to go to the Solomon Islands, because you know what I would have done? I would have looked it up, and I would have seen that's the other side of the world, ministering to the descendants of cannibals in a really hard place to people who have never heard, and I would have been like, I'm out. I'm not asking you to embrace the whole journey. I'm asking you to take the next step. And if you say this morning before God, that's me, I'm in, whatever that looks like spiritually, I'm going to ask you to stand to your feet. It's as simple as standing up right now in this moment. If you say, I will embrace the next step of what Christ has for me, whatever the Holy Spirit is asking me to do all across this room, I'm going to ask you to stand. A simple act of obedience. Holy Spirit, I don't know what you're calling me to, or maybe you are Maybe you do know what you're called to, and you're like, it's really hard. Standing to your feet, that's signifying between you and God that you're going to trust the Holy Spirit is going to make a way for you to do what he's asking you to do. And so, God, I close this service this morning, and I want you to see across the room that we believe that each and every person has something for them to do, that you've designed them for a plan and a purpose to step into those things which you have. God, empower us by your Spirit to step into all the things that you have for us. Embolden us, encourage us. And as we produce fruit by going deeper into the river, into what you have, we believe that more and more we're going to embrace your invitation and follow you. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you for listening to the Encounter Church podcast. We pray that this message was a blessing and an encouragement to you. 